the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Abounding Grace, we begin to wind down our look at the book of Job. Chapter 42 is where we're at. Join us. Abounding Grace with Gary Wagner is up next. Probably one of the most encouraging chapters in all of Scripture can be found here in Job chapter 42. Today, we'll take a look at Job 42 as we wind ourselves down in an amazing series out of the book of Job. The End of Job's Troubles is the title of our message today, but really what chapter 42 gives us is the light at the end of the tunnel. It shows us who that light is, what it is how far down the tunnel it is. He gives us hope that we go through the valley of the shadow of death and not into never to return. A lot of encouragement directly ahead today. Please join us. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. The end of Job's troubles. Here we actually see the Lord turning the captivity of Job. Let's begin by turning to Hosea chapter 6, verse 1. This verse gives us encouragement and direction when the Lord does afflict us. It says, Come and let us return to the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. Then in Psalm 30, verse 5, we read, For his anger endureth for a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. One more in the New Testament, James 6, verse 11, which is really a proper introduction, I believe, to these last verses in Job. James 5, 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, or the end of his purposes, how they came to fruition, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. You know, we have spent over a year looking at Job, of course, intermingled with our study of Genesis. And we've seen that this was a difficult time in Job's life. We have just been kind of hoovering over the top. But we know from chapter 1 through 42 that Job was living in the midst of all of this. So what have we learned? Nothing alters God's purpose. Nothing alters God's love for us. We could be crying. We could be in pain. We could be afflicted. We can be uncertain. We can be confused, we can be wounded, we can be tempted, we can fall into sin, but nothing alters God's purpose for our lives. Nothing alters His love, because His love is set. 
He rejoices over us with singing. So behind every trial, behind every tear, we always need to remember the ends of the Lord, His purposes. The word end in James 5 is the Greek word telos, the goal, the destination. The destination of affliction for the Christian is joy. The destination of suffering is happiness in the Lord. So the Lord has refined Job. He has thrown Job's faith into the fire. He has tested him. He has humbled him. He has revealed his glory to him. And now he consoles him. And he restores him. He comforts him. It's almost as if the Lord shows himself like a father or a mother. You know, your child skins his knee or something goes boo in the night and he or she are frightened and you just hold them. You console them. You love them. And the Lord says, Job, everything is okay. Everything has really been okay the whole time. But I want you to know all is well. Yes, I've brought you through some tough things. And notice here, Satan is never mentioned. We don't know if Job ever ever knew what the background was because the middleman of this affliction is really not important as for us to be humbled under the hand of God. So he says, Job... I'm going to restore you, but I don't ever want you to forget my glory. I don't want you to forget my wisdom. I don't want you to forget Leviathan, Behemoth, the mountain goats, the stars, the snow, the cold, the heat. I don't ever want you to forget my sovereignty over everything. What I want you to do is just trust me. I don't want you to debate with me. I don't want you to prove to me how righteous you are. I already know you're a righteous man. In fact, where do you think your righteousness comes from? It comes from me, Job. I just want you to trust me and to know that my wisdom and my purposes are too high for you to understand. So again, simply trust me. So in verse 10, Job's captivity is turned. Who's it turned by? Of course, the Lord. And there's a very important lesson here, and that is Job's trials ended only when God's purposes were accomplished. We oftentimes forget this. We want to run to a solution. Here's the problem. Let's find a solution now. We sometimes don't grow as much as we would like to grow in grace and in trust in the Lord because we forget there may be a human solution at some level, but the problem is not only part of the trial. It's not the only part of the trial. Part of the trial is, will we trust God in the problem? And will we wait on Him? What has God, God's purposes been here? Well, three actually stand out. What was Satan's original accusation? Lord, does Job serve you for nothing? 
And the answer is no. Now, Job doesn't pray to be made rich again, right? Through all of his mourning and wailing and complaining, God said, in some things, Job pushed too far. But Job doesn't ask for all of his stuff back. He just wants to have restored fellowship and peace with God. So that was one purpose, to put Satan in his place. And two, to humble Job, because no matter how godly we are, we need to be broken sometimes. We need to walk humbly with our God. And three, we're reading Job. The events of this book happened around 3,500 to 3,800 years ago. But God in Job has given a constant, lasting testimony that one, he is going to throw faith into the fire. And two, he is going to bring good out of every time. He puts you in the fire. He will deliver his people in their faith because it is grounded on him and overcomes the worst of afflictions. So God's purposes are accomplished and Job's trials are at an end. Now, it's an interesting phrase. He turned the captivity. Job had been captive to his fears. He had been bound to uncertainty and trouble. He had been bound into the hands of Satan. You know, captivity takes many forms. Disease, loss of job, death of a loved one. And some captivities last all our lives. You know, we have no record that Daniel ever returned to Israel even though he lived to the end of the captivity in terms of the 70 years, he was probably exiled all his life. Some of our captivities from the Lord's hands last forever. And remember, only God can turn them. This is a good lesson. Hold this in. When God has his hand upon you and You feel like you're beating your head against the wall. I can't overcome this sin. Where is the strength to do this? Where is my joy in Christ? Why why do I feel so weak? Why am I so afflicted? Remember, only God can turn our affliction. And we may not understand the wheres and the whys and the wherefores, but we must fall into the Lord's hands as Job finally ended up doing. Because God has one lesson that he teaches every single one of his children. Are you ready for this? This is one of the lessons that God teaches all of his children. Not my will, Lord, but your will be done always. Hebrews 5.8 Even though Jesus was a son, he learned obedience By the things he suffered. He learned obedience. So it's not going to be any different for you or for me. We are going to learn obedience. God is going to press us so that less and less we live for self. And more and more we live to please him. So when we are afflicted, 
we should ask some questions. We realize that God's purposes are big. There are all kinds of personal reasons that God brings his afflictions. But there are broader purposes. Churches may be praying and uniting as God's people, but each one of us, when we feel God's hand pressing down on us, need to ask some basic questions. Am I obeying God? Where may I be disobeying Him? And if you search yourself in the light of Scripture, you certainly are going to find something. Where have I grown careless? Have I grown lazy somewhere? Perhaps presumptuous. Am I trusting God or am I trusting myself? Have I been meditating on God's word or has my mind just turned into mush? And you know, it's funny to be emphasizing this. With many people, what many people say is there are more important things going on in the world than God dealing with the individual souls of his people. Uh, Let's talk about cultural movements and sins and all of these things. But we need to remember that God is our Father, the Father of each and every one of us. I guarantee He knows all of the names of His children. I guarantee that the weaknesses and struggles of His children are on His heart. I guarantee that He thinks of ways to encourage and teach and challenge His children. And yet, we are evil. Jesus said, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father? So He is going to teach us these things. Yeah, you might think, oh boy, signing up to be a Christian is a little bit more than I bargained for. But for God to come to us and say like He did to Abraham, Abraham, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be perfect. That that is a privilege, beloved. It is for the Lord takes us into his family and brings us and the whole church under the discipline of the cross for our good. So don't forget this. And don't complain. Don't grow bitter. It only makes matters worse. Do what Job did on one level. Continue to cry out for the Lord. And remember, God will bring me out of this when it pleases Him. And I'm not going to be able to twist His arm. And I'm not going to be able to force His hand. One thing is sure. When did God turn the captivity of Job? When Job was humbled. When Job yielded. Job wasn't asking when God revealed his glory to him, where is the money going to come from for my bank account? And and who's going to replace my sheep? And, And what about my children? And what about all these boils? No, Job was humbled and he repented. And isn't that the basic message of Scripture? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. And that's for all of us. That's not just for one. This wasn't just for Job. But there was something else Job had to do. Look carefully at verse 10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. 
when he prayed for his friends. We need to get this in our heads. We cannot be reconciled to God unless we are at peace with our brothers. If we are going to remain estranged from them and say, no, I'm on my walk with God and everything is good, it doesn't work like that. Because when God truly humbles us under his hand, we're humbled before one another. We forgive. We don't hold grudges. We want to work things out and seek peace. Now, it's interesting God commanded Job to pray for his friends. We looked at Job's mediatorial priestly work last week, but to pray for his friends correctly at some level, brothers, he had to forgive them. I, I, I mean, what was he going to do? Yeah, I'll pray for them, all right. Holy God, kill these fools. I think we can be pretty certain that wasn't Job's prayer. Job had to forgive them, even though he had been very wronged by them. And he had just heard the Lord take his friends to task for the way they had spoken wrongly of the Lord. But Job had to forgive them. God tied Job's restoration to his own humility, forgiveness, and praying for those who injured him. And this raises a question. How can we love those who have injured us? I dare say if we ask the question, who in here has been injured by someone else, everyone in here would raise their hand. If you're married, you've been injured. You have parents, so you've been injured. So are, are you breathing? You've been injured. James said, in many things we offend all. With our tongues we set the world on fire. So how do we love those who injure us? One, pray for them. Sincerely, humbly, lovingly pray for them. And beloved, that includes our enemies because remember what Jesus said, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him something to drink. Bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who injure you. So pray for them to seek to do them good. Seek to do some active good to someone who injured you. Because remember, a gift in secret pacifies wrath. Has your husband injured you? Cook him his favorite dinner. Has your wife injured you? Love her. Fold the clothes or do something she needs you to do, but just be nice, do good. Pray for her. Sometimes, three, comfort. Doing good and loving does not preclude confrontation. And fourth, as much as we can, Paul says in Romans twelve eighteen, live at peace. That means some things are just not going to be worked out fully in this life to the way we want them. Some differences between believers and family members in God's wisdom and providence to keep us crying, to keep us tender. Some things just may not be worked out in this life. Oh, certainly we want them to. 
But Paul doesn't say as much as it depends on others live in peace. We are, of course, would prefer that that is what he said. But he said, as much as it depends on you, you're praying, you're doing good, you're comforting, you're loving, as much as it depends on you. But I want to ask a broader question about this. Why more specifically did the Lord tie Job's restoration to his praying for his friends? This actually seems a bit strange to me. Well, I believe there are three reasons. And there may be others, but I'm just going to mention these three. I think he was teaching Job, Job, don't blame your friends for your grief. Isn't that common? Something happens to us and we go and tell someone. and We kind of expect a kind of response, but... We get a different kind of response, and then we're upset with them, or we are hurt. And by now, we've almost forgot the original issue, but we're just hurt. And then the other person becomes kind of a target of our frustration. Job needs to be at one level humble before his friends and not blame them for his grief. Two, God is merciful to the merciful. There are gospel snippets in all of this. If we're not willing to forgive, then we can't expect God to show us mercy. We even pray this in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. But we often treat God as a Roman Catholic priest. We go into the confessional once a day and say, Okay, God, blah, 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 blah. Boy, I'm glad I'm, that's over with. But you see, mercy has responsibility. If we're going to expect to receive mercy from the Lord, we've got to extend mercy, forgiveness, and patience to one another. And third, I think there's even something more fundamental than all of that. Job is being restored here to his priestly leadership in his family and his community. Remember, God was a man who was known for offering sacrifices morning, noon, and night. And it is specifically stated he did so for his children. He offered sacrifices continually. If you remember some of the comments that were made in the debate back and forth, Job was known for wisdom, for leadership, and piety. But now Job is crushed, and he is still in the dust. But God raises him up and restores him to priestly leadership. Now, I think this is interesting. As I mentioned last Sunday, this humbled Job's friends. This man is going to pray for us. Remember what Job still looked like. He hadn't taken a bath yet. He had just finished listening to what God said, and he's humbled And it is as if the Lord says, that's my priest, that worm in the dust, that's my priest. And I think this is a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because remember, he wasn't made a priest because he was outwardly beautiful, glamorous, or or had wealth. He even said of himself, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And the Jews, that's why they rejected him. This man will save us. 
This man will be the priest over the house of God? I don't think so. Again, this is said to humble us. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. (music) 